All right, and we're recording. I don't recording. need pressure to do that. I don't need pressure to be entertaining, Sarah. Well, you're on the fucking television now, so better square up. <laughs> all I need to be all I need to be entertaining is just my casual disregard for my own well-being and a flight of stairs. Well, good well. luck cuz I'm about to shove you off the edge. Boom. Oh no. No. <laughs> ah! ah! This is an aggressive energy we're starting out with today. Oh, I'm still falling. <laughs> well, that's fine because I'm about to get just like so up into this subject. This is this is the thing I've been training for my whole life. No, that's still Kung Fu Panda 2, but um, <laughs> I am fucking ready to throw down on this particular subject that we have prepared today. I'm still falling. Jesse, get the fuck back up. You're the one who pushed me off the cliff, bro. One, two, three, four. Avatar The Last Airbender today, bitches. <laughs> the moment that I have been waiting for my entire life. Can we start this by talking about what kind of airbender we would do? Oh shit, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm Sarah, and I would be a waterbender. I'm Jesse, I would be an airbender. I'm Dylan, I would definitely be an earthbender. Earthbender? Earthbender. Nice. So we got we got a good selection, a good variety. A nice Ooh, buffet, we need will. a we need a firebender. The fire nation will not stand a chance. Oh, that's right. True. We're we're in the era where they're where they're all bad guys, or are they? Or are dun, they? Dun, dun. Let's explore that. Also, mine in a way. Well, this is gonna be a redundant situation. Not no no no. We'll be good. We'll be good. Jesse, was your topic that the Fire Nation was good the whole time? Because if so, we might have to have some pickup. Yeah, I think we might have to fight. I don't support colonialism in the in the general way. I do. I I I I don't like it when it's when it's a lot of genocide, which is what the Fire Nation did. Just want to explicitly establish, Jesse. No to no to that. No, I think we are of the general political consensus that genocide bad. Genocide bad. Genocide bad. Imperialism, nationalism, bad. Yeah. Genocide not good. Well, this is already some very deep critical thought we've delved into. We're here. We're in it. We're in it now, team, aren't we? Is there anything y'all would like to goof about before we start? Okay, so I guess the hard question is. Zutara or Katang? Neither. I'm Zutara. a lesbian. I don't care. Zutara. Zutara. <laughs> I'm a lesbian and I don't care. And I've, I used to care about Katang when I was like 10 and a repressed lesbian who just shipped whatever was canon. Uh, but as I've grown into an adult and rewatched the series and formulated a, a mature opinion, I've determined I don't care. <laughs> Sarah, Sarah, that's all very valid and reasonable so, and fair. So I don't have to say that. No, Dylan, you shush. 
Jesse's taking the Zutara stage. Bless it up, bitches. And my opinion has not in any way changed. It has only gotten stronger. That Zutara was set up from the beginning and provides the most interesting dynamic. And you see them as foils to each other more than Zuko and Aang are foils to each other. And they should have ended up together. And frankly, I'm still mad. I do agree at the very least that Zutara and and, uh, sorry, that Zuko and Katara's uh, dynamic is more interesting than Katara and Aang's, but do I want them to necessarily get together? I don't super care. Mm, I still care, I guess. <laughs> That's out. okay. I still care quite a bit. That is, that is valid. You are entitled to that. But I think we can all agree Katara and Aang suck. <laughs> it's, not, it's not ideal, I feel like. It's just very... Oh, well, we sure know his perspective on it. Oh, yeah, he's into it, I bet, a he, lot. He's into her, I guess. <laughs> she, seems, she seems somewhat indifferent about this. She seems like she's just kind of dealing with the fact that a war's going on and also feels no attraction to him whatsoever beyond friendship, I guess. <laughs> weird, weird that, uh, kiss so much. Yeah, yeah, it's a bit weird. Dylan, what's your hot take on this? Well, here's the thing. When I was a little kid, I didn't think about shit like this. <laughs> so I never cared from the word go. Oh, what a charmed life. Imagine if you were Jared, age 19, and didn't know how to read romantic subtext. I don't know if this is subtext. I could read romantic subtext, but then I immediately decided that all romance was boring. In fact, most interpersonal relationships were boring. I wanted to see some people fight. I disagree on interpersonal relationships being boring, but I do also want to see some people fight. <laughs> we can all agree fighting is good, and I have changed my mind about relationships in general, but not the, these two relationships. So just to catch me up, Fighting good, genocide bad, Zutara is still the only canon to be accepted. Uh, sure. I'll just, I'll just let you have that. Know. That's fine. I don't have enough dogs in this fight. Ooh, I like dog. Oh, can we talk yeah, about dog, how dog Appa is like the biggest perfect dog? Oh, uh, it's a large dog. It's a boof. Just... Appa's a boof. I think the real draw of The Last Airbender really is that power fantasy of just having a big dog. Such a fucking large dog who can also fly. I just want a dog. And will never abandon you. And will never abandon me. Except for that one time he did. He didn't. He didn't do. He I will not accept slander in this house. This is the edgy interpretation of the show. Where everything's slightly meaner. I don't like it. I don't like it. Well, let's talk about what we do like. I am going to get the technical shit out of the way because that's what I've brought here today. Excellent. Flex those technical so, muscles. My subject on Avatar The Last Airbender, I'm going to talk at length about how much I love magic systems in general, but the bending as a magic system in particular. Strap in. Pretty, pretty basic conceit. You got the four elements, benders can control them. 
They can use them in various interesting ways, and I think that it really adds to the plot of the show that they can use this kind of magic to solve problems. Now, there's kind of these rules on how one does use magic to solve problems, and the idea is generally the better well-known your magic system is, the more you can use said magic to fix problems. If your story is like, we can do magic, and it's like vaguely defined and whatever, like in Lord of the Rings, you can't use magic to solve all the problems, otherwise it's really fucking boring. Mm. Like after The Last Airbender, where you know, this person can control water. That is the beginning and end of their ability. You can use that to solve any problem, but you have to make it look creative. Yeah. And how did they do that, Dylan? That's one of the things I really also enjoy, which is that in Avatar The Last Airbender, basically stated that bending while also being an ability unique to certain peoples was also a thing you practice, like a martial art. That often that people's power in bending was brought from personal training and not just some innate thing that you're born with. It's a mix of the two. Yeah, you gotta, so, be, you gotta be born with, like, the potential, but you still have to learn how to do it. Yeah, you gotta, like, fucking do it, and... You better work, like, bitch. There's particularly, there's particularly an episode I really like where um, Katara is teaching Aang how to waterbend, and Aang is just immediately really good at it, and she starts getting really fucking pissed. <laughs> I remember that. I've experienced that. <laughs> this whole episode's gonna be a lot of me giggling and saying, I remember that. I remember that. Like, the idea, the idea that I really like about this magic system is that it kind of allows for, like, you know, a small group of scrappy young kids to really make a difference in a war against an imperialist government that probably wouldn't be able to do so without said magic. It's sort of a vehicle allowing for not only, like, you know, the cool fantasy that you can beat up an evil government with your friends, which wouldn't we all... Oh, yeah. oh, oh God! Wouldn't that be fun? Dude? Wouldn't that be great in this day and age specifically? Oh boy, howdy! Oh boy, any age, but this one in particular. This one in particular would be great to be able to like, if you wanted to, just like maybe throw anybody that you you know felt like deserved it into the sky with with big big air magic. That'd be neat. Yes, but also I really like in in settings when the magic system inherent to a culture or person specifically informs you about that culture or person. Yes. Yes. Which is namely yeah. the, the, the way that their abilities work is, you know, you can kind of have some chicken or the egg stuff there, but, you know, like which came first, the, the culture's ideas and how they do things or the magic, you know, one, one caused the other. Right. Um, so the idea is like that, you know, the Earthbenders are, a, you know, they're a large nation. They're larger than any other nation. And they can build settlements with just fucking magic. They just go up and go, okay, here's a house now. And as a result, they're the largest nation of any other nation. And they're so expansive, but they're also so divided. They don't really have to rely on each other for help as much as far as infrastructure goes. And they're, uh, you know, they're a very big agrarian society. If you recall out on the outside of Bossing Say, there was just farmland as far as the eye could see. As a result, a lot of the Earth Kingdom kind of just has devolved into like these, it's not even a kingdom. I wouldn't call it that. I would call it a alliance of kingdoms. 
Yeah. So it kind of informs you on like the way that characters, the way that members of the Earth Kingdom think about things. When they can just create from like just at the drop of a hat, just create something, anything that they want to, as long as it's made of, you know, rocks and shit. Um, <laughs> rocks and shit. Then you have like individual earthbenders and the way that they use earthbending really kind of tells you about them, which is where we want to talk about best girl, Toph. Toph Beifong, best Toph girl. Beifong, greatest of all time. She is, a, I think, a really cool example of earthbenders. And it's explicitly stated, you know, that she is the strongest earthbender ever. And I often like to think about that as conceptually, she is most like the earth, which is why she's the strongest. Unmovable, strong, resilient. Stubborn as shit. Will yeah. destroy you. It's often like thought of, but like the Fire Nation is like, you know, inherently like the most aggressive nation and like all of, and like all the firebenders are inherently aggressive. And I'm just like, yeah, but look at Toph though. Yeah, have you met Toph Beifong? Like, and particularly the thing I really like is the way, is like the way they describe her fighting style, which is that she doesn't initiate in fights. She waits and she listens for people. Neutral chin. And then when they make a move, she makes them pay for it. <laughs> she fucking destroys them. She fucks them up so bad and so real that they just want to quit like all their jobs and then leave. Let Toph Beifong say fuck is all I'm saying. Let Toph Beifong say fuck. <laughs> you know, you know that the that the voice actress for Toph Beifong was just like every every time her line is done, they just got like cut out so many damn fucks because she was in character all along. <laughs> it's um, not a matter yeah. of let her say it; she has. They just won't let us see it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she, she's done it. It's there. They just won't let us because they're cowards. Like the other things, the other things that like kind of like follow into like what I was talking about is like the firebenders. They're a nation that is full of industry, and it makes perfect sense that they would be. Their command and mastery over fire means that they were able to build metal faster than any other nation. When like about like maybe like a quarter to a tenth of your country is just full of people that can shoot fire out of their fucking hands, you learn metallurgy real quack, real quick. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Real quack, get those decks. Real quack. Yeah, you have, you know, you have like that and also it kind of like informs, like I said, the nature of their society. They're inherently driven like a fire to just spread out as far as they possibly can. But they're kind of, you know, it's kind of like uh, the problem is all the land's already kind of taken. And I really like the episode with the Sun Warriors where they denote that fire isn't inherently bad, it isn't inherently violent, and that the tendencies of the Fire Nation, the traits that make them good, have been co-opted by the government in order to turn them into bad people. That their drive and their desire for things is not evil, but that it can be used for evil. Genocide bad. Genocide yeah, bad. Genocide bad. Inherently like, bad. Groups of people not inherently bad, but bad leaders and complacency with said bad leaders lead to bad. Bad leaders bad. I think we can all agree that bad leaders bad. Bad I think leaders, that's what bad. We're bad leaders here, right? bad. Genocide bad. Complacency bad. Fire Nation, good. Fire, no, fire, good. Fire, good. Frankenstein was wrong. <laughs> Frankenstein is a punk and wrong. 
Frankenstein didn't know what he was talking about. Frankenstein didn't have a dad. <laughs> have a dad tell him fire good. That's no excuse. Fire good. Fire warm. Fire warm. Fire tasty? Don't eat it. I already I'm gonna, did. I'm gonna veto fire tasty. Don't. <laughs> we don't want to test fire tasty. Fire smoky. That's true. That one, that one I'll accept. Yeah, particularly what I was like also talking about was like you know, like I said, that the magic system is a really good use of literary um, of literary ideas to kind of inform the society and the characters in a way that's pretty readily physically evident. You know, you get that, you get the, you get kind of the spark notes from Ang is a carefree kid and he controls the fucking air because he's a carefree kid, like the wind. And the way he uses airbending is inherently different from the other people in his society. And it's kind of, and it's kind of noteworthy that he is basically a child. And there are parts of his story that both are beneficial and like there are advantages and disadvantages of him being a child. There are parts of his like role as the avatar that him being a child is actually helpful for. And then there are parts where him being a child is like the worst drawback you could possibly ever imagine. I particularly like in um, a couple parts of the show when Aang just like pulls the most dumb bullshit kid solution to a problem. Uh, I'm thinking of probably what is like almost everyone's least favorite episode, The Great Divide. Uh, yeah, oh god. It's not a good one. Where, where, where Aang solves the ancient hundred year dispute of this village and we never actually find out who's in the wrong because Aang decides it actually doesn't matter who's in the wrong. I'm going to go make up some revisionist history so that we all get along. <laughs> it's true. Um, essentially, that the idea of bending is a really good example of um, hard magic in your fantasy setting. And if you want to write characters that are magical, make sure that their magic actually fits who they are as a person. Don't just give one person a random power. Their ma a magic of a person should always be reflective of either one of their greatest strengths and amplifies what their strength as a person is, or it should be a it should be a way to cover their greatest weakness. And this is why Reed Richards being a bendy, stretchy, funny man doesn't work. <laughs> I was gonna say this felt very tart. Not even a little bit. I'm glad I'm glad we segued here into um, what the fuck Marvel um, territory. <laughs> yeah. 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 We've all, we've all stumbled into, hey, Marvel, you good? You good? Hey, Marvel. Hey, hey Marvel? Marvel. You good? Why, is, good, why does Reed Richards exist? He, he should be sent into the same realm as Ross from Friends. Like, we could just mm. do without them. Erroneous men. There was never, there was never any need for you. The, it, there was never any need for you, universe. Which is my favorite Marvel universe to ignore. <laughs> Good stuff. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, um, <laughs> oh no, we've been friends for too long. Oh no, Jess, you love me. Oh, disgusting. Oh, it's beautiful. Revel in it, Jesse. Uh, get me out of this cage. It is my domain of friendship. Ooh. 
That did not appreciate it. I appreciate you. Yeah. Oh, Dylan's here too. Dylan's pretty good. Uh, Dylan! Right. Uh, Dylan! I'm occasionally pretty good. You're pretty good. You're, You're pretty, pretty good. good pretty consistent. Pretty good boy. P- pretty good boy. See. Pretty good boy. I want to talk about another good boy. <gasps> what good boy are you going to talk about? He is the crown prince of the Fire Nation. Oh, uh-huh. is he's he now? Oh, he's on a quest for, for honor, honor and glory. Zuko, the firebender. Uh, I'm here to talk about not my first love. I think that's still probably uh, either Kate Winslet from Titanic or Karen Knightley in Princess of Thieves. Mm. One of those ladies has that 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 uh, that place of honor. But I do want to talk about the boy. That boy. The good boy. This boy. This good boy. That boy over there. The boy. The boy. The first boy. Can't Uh, relate, but go on. Zuko fire himself. Zuko fire himself. Zuko Um, fire. I just, he doesn't have a last name, I don't think. Zuko Prince. Zuko, the prince formerly known as Prince. It's impossible. How weird is that that the the Fire Nation royal family doesn't have a last name? Does not have a family name. And they are the ruling ruling family. I think Beifong, Toph Beifong is the only character with a last name. You're either a Beifong or you're anyone else. (laughs) (laughs) There's only one family. I was saying that earlier, just... Explicitly, I think Toph is the only one I can think of off the top of my head. Or people related to Toph in Legend of Korra, which is still telling. (laughs) (laughs) You have one family. You're either Toph Beifong or you're just like a commoner. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. There's there's such an important family that they get a last name, but all the royal families don't. It's true. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so powerful. Maybe last names hadn't been invented yet. They just invented it. Oh, you don't have a last name? We just invented it. <laughs> you see, we don't we don't have just one paltry name. <laughs> it's not like some commoner. How will you know what your lineage is? You got my dad. He's right here. Um, and I know my grandpa. He died, but I know who he was. <laughs> I want to talk about Zuko. Okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about Baby's first redemption arc. Baby's first redemption arc. Baby's first redemption Baby's arc. Baby's objectively best redemption arc. <laughs> and the fact that this has stuck with me for so long. The show came out in 2005, 2003. Yeah. And I'm still just sitting here waiting on me. I'm just like, anytime now. Anytime nope. you want to try to even approach this. Not happening. I'm here. I'm waiting. Green Lantern, so, the animated series, did have Razor's redemption arc, but it was also the same writers from Avatar The Last Airbender. So it's literally literally just Zuko in space so by the same writers. The thing that I <laughs> wanted to get into with with this this sweet boy and his redemption arc is that this was when I say baby's first redemption arc, I mean like for a lot of us growing up when the show came out. This was the first time we saw a redemption arc, let alone the best one to date in media history. And why this was so good to the point that it has stuck with all of us forever? The novel concept that a person can be bad, 
but then become good, which I think is something that a lot of us never saw before. Yeah. Well, it um, came up before, but not in such a believable way that yes. they do it in this yeah. show. That's part of what I wanted to get into with with just the way that this is paced is that the first so like the first 12 episodes or so first 11 episodes Zuko is and he's the primary antagonist for like the first season of this show and the first 11 episodes he's just strange outsider man who's trying to burn everyone alive and capture Aang and we're all like oh no why and his uncle's funny but we don't really understand why he's there and it's perplexing and we don't get it then and then episode 12 season one the storm and then the storm and then the backstories like this the fact that from episode 12 season one Aang and Zuko's backstories are not just like hinted at being tied together but are like directly parallel is how we just know that this redemption arc is gonna be so good so good like thematically inherently thematically Zuko's backstory like the fact is is that like Aang does grow and change throughout the course of this narrative for sure he does like he he becomes a stronger version of himself for sure. But the like backbone, the actual narrative change that happens in the story, Zuko. That's the whole thing. Is Zuko. He he over the course of the series, not only does he gain empathy that outweighs his desire to be accepted by his people and his father, he gains empathy to like understand that there's something more important than that out there for sure. But he also finds new purposes and new motivations and he grows and he fails and he tries to be better and fails at that and he tries to go home and he fails at that and then he has to redo his entire life course to get on the right path this boy this boy does a full not just 180 but full like I have to break myself down as a person to bear components and rebuild myself back up. Oh, this boy. And he, and he does it with fucking style. With I style, mean, with he does it so awkwardly. Oh, it's bad. He gets so sick. He, he, gets, so, he, he literally so gets a fever from his moral quandaries. <laughs> oh, it hurts so bad trying to be a good that's, person. I think, I think that's just I think that's just a really good depiction of Zuko in a nutshell. You do like the first good thing you've ever done in your life and then you just like immediately get sick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just for the just for the drama of it all. Yes. I love I love how his uncle just immediately knows what the fuck's happening. He's like, like, ah, this happened to me when I decided to be good for the first time. Here, mm-hmm. have some tea. <laughs> yeah, this is what happens. This is what happens. Um, like my, my child, when you decide to stop being a, mem- a member of a fascist society, you get a fever. <laughs> you get a bad fever. You get visited by some weird-ass dragon drug visions in the middle of the night. It's all run-of-the-mill Zuko family it's stuff. We don't have a last name. Mile. We don't have time to... We don't really have time to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> just like, I, just, I just also just love like the scene that Zuko goes through when he's like having this moment and he's like wakes up, he looks in the mirror and he 
looks in the mirror and he sees the face of the fucking avatar staring back at him and he's like, what? (laughs) (laughs) It's like, okay, uncle, what you put in the tea? So without naming names, uh, media tries to do redemption arcs a lot. Mm. I feel like media media is of the opinion that redemption arcs are very easy because you, all you have to do is make someone <laughs> slightly sympathetic and then boom, bam, the audience will sympathize. And while it's true that some members of the audience are going to sympathize, by and large, you're not going to be able to pull off a satisfying narrative if you decide that your main villain is in fact maybe a good guy again not naming names here in any particular large 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 that may or may not still be continuing at this moment in time um but the fact that like and yeah tv shows different than movies zuko had literally three seasons to kind of get his act together whereas movies you only have like part of part of a two and a half hour we know you're talking about kylo ren it's okay i'm not i didn't say anything (laughs) i didn't even say a thing about kyle i didn't say one word about kyle Kyle ren who's kyle about kyle ren I've never talked uh, about how Kyle. How dare you accuse Jesse of thinking about Kyle? How dare you accuse me of even thinking of Kyle Rain? I, I'm sorry. My brain just blanked out and I forgot the last minute of conversation. You were talking yeah. about Zuko? Yeah, I was talking about Zuko. I was talking about how his narrative arc has enough time to figure out like how good it can be, for sure. But also, there's so many bad redemption arcs. There's just so many. Because Zuko's redemption arc doesn't come from just being sympathetic. And I feel like that's what a lot of people are missing in uh in when they're when they're making their medias. They think if they can just make one character like, oh, they got hurt when they were a kid, or their parents were mean, or they didn't have a nice childhood, or they've gone through stuff, like then that will make their, you know, puzzled together uh redemption arc cohesive. And it doesn't. Zuko's not a good, redeemable character just because he was sympathetic and we understand why he's doing what he's doing. If he was still, like, from get-go, I need to capture the Avatar to reclaim my honor, to get back my throne, like, that, if that never changed, even if we did understand what his backstory was, his redemption arc would have sucked. There would have been no good redemption arc. He's not redeemable just because I get it. He's redeemable because we see him try and fail and change and try again. And we see him grow as a person and have to like redo how he thinks about what is worthy and what he wants to redeem in and of himself. And he has yeah, to make himself was, humble. You gotta work, say, bitch. I think, I think one of my favorite moments is when, you know, it's the end of season two, it's the siege of Bossing Say where Zuko has just decided to side with his sister and God knows what's going through the poor boy's head at this time. And he decides to betray his uncle, the only person who has ever been on his side, and join with his sister to defeat the Avatar. I absolutely love the progression of him, where he's trying to reconnect with his uncle, even though he just put him in fucking jail and he's trying to talk to him and and he won't talk back to him. And Zuko just keeps getting more and more angry because he doesn't understand that his uncle just is afraid that he lost his way and he's afraid to say anything because he doesn't, 
because he because he thinks he fucked up. That's my that's my reasoning for why why his uncle wouldn't talk to him in prison is because he thinks he fucked up and that he failed. And that's why Zuko ended up making that choice. And I really love the part where Zuko just over the course of him being at home, you know, finally having the approval of his father and him kind of coming to the realization, I know what I'm doing is wrong. I have everything I want and it doesn't matter because I know it's wrong. Yeah. Similarly, one of my favorite moments from that, that era of Zuko being home and it being wrong is the fucking beach episode. Like the whole, <laughs> the entirety of the beach, the entirety of the beach episode. The fact that it exists. There's a beach episode. But specifically the fact that when uh, he and Mai and Tylee and Azula are all sitting on the beach and Zuko's pissed and he's been fighting with Mai and it's like a bunch of teen drama that like is kind of incongruent with like the rest of the world drama that's happening. And everyone's going around saying uh, like, who are you mad at? Are you mad at me? Are you mad at dad? Are you mad at mom? Are you mad at uncle? And then Zuko like just like lets out like all this fire that just goes straight out of his body and says, I'm angry at myself. And that's the whole point. Yeah, it's because what? he realizes the shit that I'm doing is wrong and I want to stop. <laughs> I think um, maybe um, it could be said that Zuko's character arc is the character arc of a person who has lived their life in relative privilege and then have to come to terms with the fact that they have to let it go and then work against it to help people in need. And simultaneously, the arc of a character who has to acknowledge that he has been abused and that has affected him and finding a new family, like the found family aspect with Iroh and then later on the Aang and Aang's friends. The gang. That's another one of my favorite. That's one of my favorite moments in the show is when Zuko confronts his dad. Um, you know, he spent like the beginning of like the first. You know, you see him in the first season, and he blames himself for where he is. He does. Yeah. He's, you know, he's been banished, but he thinks it's his fault. And there's that part where, um, during the solar eclipse when he confronts his dad, and he just tells him, "You challenged me, an 11 year old child, to a battle to the death." I didn't do anything that nothing I could have ever done could have warranted that. And you did it anyway. That was never my fault. That was always your fault. Uh, It's so good. It's so good. And going back into what I was saying before about how your magic system really has to in lie with your character arc is that Zuko never learns how to use lightning. He can't use lightning. But what he does learn how to do is he learns how to redirect lightning. He learned from trauma and from who he is that he can take all of the abuse that his father hurled at him and he can channel it back at him. And similarly, he never uses, and again, explaining like what makes for a good redemption arc, he never uses his trauma as a means to justify his actions. Like he doesn't equate, my dad sucked, challenged me to an Agnikai, tried to kill me, I think. (laughs) And that means it's okay for me to start attacking other people. Like in the beginning, his his motivation was I need to do this to get this, and he get like that's that's some situation. But by the time he's trying to be a redeemable character, it's I recognize that this happened. I know this happened to me. I am understanding it and I'm processing it. But that doesn't give me a free pass to just be a dick to everyone in the world. 
Like, yeah. let's say, let's say again, just like without naming names. Kylo Ren. A difficult, maybe a difficult childhood, maybe someone would say, someone would maybe say you have a difficult childhood. And so then you blow up three planets. Like that's how you stop it. <laughs> Some people need to blow up planets to cope, Jesse. You wouldn't I understand. So much. <laughs> I hate so much. I just don't know how I can hate someone so much when I don't even know them. <laughs> Kyle! Kyle, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> Let the past die, Jesse. Kill it if you have to, Jesse. I hate that this is happening. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So anyway, that's Zuko, and I love him, and he's the best character, and uh, Zutara for life, and um, his redemption arc is that which I hold as a standard for any other redemption arc, and no one has yet to accomplish it. I'm just over here tapping my fucking watch, just like, hey, come on, anybody? Anybody, anybody. at all? Anybody make a run of the throne? Again, Green yeah, Lantern, turned the animated series is a good show, but also was the Avatar writer, so I think we have one set of writers that can accomplish this. <laughs> Y'all feeling froggy, then jump. Y'all feeling froggy, wanna take a leap? Wanna take a leap? Watch the throne, kids. Thinks they can stand within with two seconds in the ring with the champ. With the, the champ, fucking yeah. champs. All right. The one and only. <laughs> Speaking of the incredible writing on this show, and also jumping off of Zuko, I'm going to talk about one of my favorite episodes, which is the Southern Raiders. And this is the Zuko and Katara's trauma field trip episode. And I want to talk about how this series handles morality and cycles of war and cycles of abuse. In the beginning of the episode, you have Aang preaching the whole, like, oh, you have to forgive your enemies in order to move on and heal. And then Katara's, like, walking up to him, like, hey, how do I deal with this vengeance problem? And he's like, oh, forgive them. And then she's like, cool, cool, cool. I'm going to go ask Zuko now. Bye. And Zuko's right, like, get- already packing the bags, like, okay, let's go fuck him up. <laughs> let's do this. <laughs> did, did someone say vengeance? Did someone say murder? <laughs> I've been waiting to do a whole murder, but for good reasons this time. <laughs> I, just, I just love that whole part where it's just like, where he's just like, listen, I know you don't trust me, and good lord, do you not have any reason to trust me, but... Here we go. I'm going to go bring you on a silver platter the person that killed your fucking mom. How's that sound? And she's like, dope, dope, dope. Let's do this. Eggs full of shit. So (laughs) they go on this little murder adventure. And the whole. And then there's also that beautiful moment where she does bloodbending, the thing that she said she was never going to do again because it is. A horrible, awful thing to do to a person, and then she does it, and Zuko has this look in his eyes, like she could have killed me so many times. She, yeah. <laughs> <just like, laughs> she's so strong. She could have fucking murdered me this whole time. So, like, there is the added element of Katara being just like so 
fucking powerful and ruthless and i love that they have a character who's like that and it's beautiful um but then like when by turn sorry a character who's by turn like one of the most nurturing and like parental figures that you'll see of like a, a child character in any show but then also can just turn around and show this absolute ruthlessness it's almost like she's a whole person and not just a trope, and it's great. Oh, she's a whole person. She's a whole person, and this, yeah, and they, like, this show doesn't just have female characters who are like, oh, here's the love interest, here's the comedy relief, like, they're, they're whole people, and it's good. Um, God, the bar is just underground, isn't it? Yeah, the bar is pretty yeah, fucking bar, underground. The bar is not pretty <laughs> clear. Still not happening, though. They're yeah. still good characters, yeah. but the bar is yeah. pretty damn low. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Archaeologists, archaeologists have uncovered ancient remains of bar. <laughs> so, so when they she does finally find the person who killed her mom, it turns out he's just this fucking loser on a farm, which it, it parallels how her mother died in the sense that they're both from like these small communities where not really the war hasn't really touched this area and also there's the visual parallel where when she faces off against him she creates like a dome with the rain which emulates the dome that her mother died in the, the igloo yeah and what I love is that the solution isn't forgiveness it's recognizing that that her her enemy isn't someone who is necessarily evil, but just is completely void of empathy. Like she refers to him as empty and sad and pathetic, and, and that there's nothing inside of him. And that there's nothing inside of him. And like I think she could have killed him, and it would have been justified, for sure. Yeah. Sure. But this is also yeah. a children's show. It is and, a children's program, and it is ultimately it's her choice. You know, like. Yeah. It's a choice she makes, and she isn't choosing to forgive him either. Because at the end of the episode, Aang's like, "Ah, oh, you did it, you know, you found it in your heart to forgive him, so you didn't kill him. She's like, no, I'm never forgiving him. You know, it's she's just, she decided it wasn't worth it to kill him. And that, that yeah, wasn't going, yeah. it wasn't going to, that vengeance, while it would have been justified, it wasn't going to heal her trauma. It yeah. was. It wasn't going to bring her mother back. Explicitly, just like a funny segue is, she just turns around and just goes, "But you, Zuko, I'm willing to forgive you." And then at this point, Zuko, seeing all this shit that's happening, is like, "Oh, thank God! Oh, oh God. thank God! I'm not gonna get fucking murdered in my sleep with blood bending. <laughs> Holy oh shit!" <laughs> this so this is a deleted scene where Zuko is just talking to Sokka and just looks like, "So I'm." finally come to terms with how close I've been to death, like, the entire time I've been chasing you guys. And Sokka's like, oh, you figured out that my sister's fucking terrifying? Yeah, what's, what's up with that? Hey, bro, your sister's a god. <laughs> so, like, I think, it, like, something I think about is this annoying trope where people are like, remember that, you know, the people on the other side are, are humans too, and, like, the unfortunate takeaway being, like, oh, so let's forgive everyone and treat everyone like, you know, they don't deserve punishment or whatever. It's like, no, there are definitely people out there who deserve to die for their actions and political parties that are evil and stuff like that. Absolutely. But 
the 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 point of like recognizing that everyone's human is that monsters are people who lack empathy. They're not like born Disney villains. They are people who have made the choice that caring about others isn't worth it. And yeah, for whatever reason, they've chosen to ignore their sense of empathy towards any given group of people. Yeah, and it's important for us to recognize that so we see that both that monster monster being capable within ourselves when we don't recognize when we're choosing not to care about others and also that um and, and the way it applies to this series is that she she decides to react by not bothering to kill him because she finds that he's pathetic and not worth it and that's not going to solve problems magically for her um again she would have been justified in killing him for sure but it, it's it, this is what leads to her choice in the matter. And then also it, it's what leads her to recognize I shouldn't paint my judgment of Zuko based on the actions of his people. And yeah. that I can recognize that he is trying and he has changed. That he's continuing to make the effort to change. Yeah, there's a, there's a line in... Um, going back to that fucking episode, the, uh, you know, the Siege of Boxing say, where... Zuko is trapped in a room with Katara for half a minute, and this is before, you know, the his heel turn is um he's talking to her and she just says, I can like like she just looks at him and just says, The Fire Nation took my mother away and then he just looks back at her and she and he says, Uh, we have that in common. Yeah, like and I think ultimately what I like about this show is it's never just like a character chooses not to kill someone because killing is bad is the solution. There's always more complexity to it. Like yeah. even like people try to say like with the finale that oh, Aang doesn't kill the Fire Lord because killing bad and that's a boring narrative. Like specifically his people were pacifists and they were killed through genocide and he is the last of his culture and yes. If he were to kill Ozai, not only would that go against his own morals, that would go against the morals of the culture he's trying to preserve. The culture that has been killed by this person. And that's why I feel that him, while the solution ends up being a total deus ex machina that should have been foreshadowed better, still choosing not to kill him, I feel, is the most in character and almost like more powerful specifically for him because he is choosing to let his culture live and uphold it. Even though like when he was going back into the past avatars and he found like another past airbender avatar, she was like, fucking do it, fucking kill him. <laughs> he was still like, I know it is better for the world for that. This person dies, but I am going to choose to be selfish, but not like, like maybe selfish isn't the right term, but you know, do something that I feel is, uh, uh, like, upholds, upholds, like, like upholds the beliefs of my people and, re- and preserves my people. Yeah. Um, with, with me and, like, with, like, a lot of, like, what I've seen, like, on the, the discourse about that, about that, is I was always, like, kind of, like, could go either way on it. Like, I, my biggest problem was that the lion turtle was just, like, to the plot line, just this big fucking deus ex machina, and it's like, okay. Yeah, the lion turtle is a deus ex machina. I definitely agree with that. (laughs) Can't can't stress this enough, but the idea of what Aang chose to do, it always felt to me like there wasn't a correct answer. It was a personal fucking choice. 
Yeah, it, yeah, he it wasn't a right or wrong thing. It was the personal choice because he still ultimately does the most important thing, which is take away his ability to hurt others. So the, yeah, the world is still like it's not like he's endangering the world with this decision. Like he he is still removing Ozai as a figure of power that can continue to hurt people. But also the choice to not kill him being that solution, part of that solution, that is a personal choice that he made. Yeah, so yes. so it's like yeah, so I just I appreciate the like how this show has like a lot of complexity with the morals where it's never just straight up killing bad, um, you know, forgiveness good. Like there's always complexity behind these individual decisions for for the for the characters um on their own. Yeah. Yeah. I also specifically with with Katara and and the the choice of whether or not to kill um, the man who directly killed her mother and like the fact that she could kill him and it would be like as if this wasn't a kid's show and that would be tricky to accomplish uh, like narratively completely justified I also maybe in recent years probably not you know ever since I was 12 when the show was uh, airing and I was watching it but at least in recent years I've partially interpreted uh, the phrase like uh, you are empty you have nothing inside you and specifically how it related to her her mother's death was was partially because you were you were a soldier, you were a mercenary in this larger conflict, and you pulled the trigger on this on this action. You killed her, but the reason why that happened is bigger than you. It's bigger than what you did, and yeah. that like her Katara's finding uh, closure with with what happened has less to do with destroying the person who who killed her, who killed her mother. And more to do with ending a conflict that allowed that to happen to begin with. Exactly. That she's recognizing that killing this one soldier who can't even hurt anyone anymore isn't going to solve things on a grander scheme. Like, I like I need to continue my mission to end this war as a whole. And that's what's going to bring me closure, not killing this man. Yes. The show's really good, you guys. It's a really damn good show, y'all. It's so good, you guys. I'm constantly bored by it. Oh, man. Oh, the show. Oh, the show. Is there there anything else you guys want to talk about? Because there's just so many things. The show's so good. Remember that one episode where they watched a play about themselves? (laughs) Remember that one time? (laughs) They did the greatest recap episode of all time. Just talking about how they're not very good, and I also love like the little the like, the little joke when they're reading the like the little excerpt where it's like talking about the talking about a historic a accurate depiction of the Avatar where we where we actually went and sought out several firsthand sources, including kings, generals, and one incredibly knowledgeable cabbage farmer. <laughs> cabbage farmer. I love that fucking joke so much. <laughs> that's like that's like that's like a joke like you know like there's like the set, there's like you know you do a joke three times and like the third time is like the inversion. That's when you do a joke like eight times and then like the ninth time is the inversion and then you do it over the course of several fucking seasons and it's really good. That's oh, so funny. <laughs> the show's so good, you guys. It's so good. The show. I recommend it to everyone that we just spoiled all of it, including the ending, too. Yeah, spoilers for a 15-year-old. <laughs> Oops. Trip. Whoopsie. 
Yeah, instead of giving spoiler warnings at the beginning of an episode, we say schwoopsie at the end of it. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like it's just as effective. (laughs) Yeah, you know. You know, they know we made a schwoops. (laughs) We made a a schwoops. Made a little schwoops. Just a little schwoops. (laughs) Do y'all have any final thoughts? Bloodbending is a really cool subversion of the way we think about waterbending in the rest of the series because, you know... We often think about it as like this healing, passive, defensive power. And it's just like, no, bloodbending is, um, blood is waterbending in its purest form, as stated by this one woman. <laughs> it is the ability to just have total dominion over another living person. Lord. And it's really, really, really cool for Katara's character that she has to recognize the fact that she could, you know, use her power to abuse innocent people, but it's like, no, why would I ever do that? What, no matter what power it gives me, there is no amount of power worth it. Yeah, that episode is, I mean, definitely top five for sure. Um, partially just because they made it so horrifying. It was you know so creepy. You know what pisses me off? That's literally the only episode I ever, of the whole series, that I didn't see the day it came out. Oh, oh no! Oh, it was so good. I had to wait for it to rerun. I didn't catch it the first time. And now that I know, I was like, oh, God, I missed this. This is everything I fucking live for. I love the part where she's teaching us, like, water's everywhere. Water is everything. Do you remember that time in your life when you would actually wait every week for new episodes to come out? Oh, man. And being so fucking pumped. Do you remember? And then we used to have parties at at houses together where we'd watch the, like, big, like, four-parter episodes when they'd come out. Sarah, we've been friends for so long. We've been friends since we were tiny babies watching Avatar together on TV. I love you so much. I love you so much. Oh, my God. Ew, gross. I love you. Ew, gross. I can say now as an adult, I'm sorry for all those years when I shipped Katang like a fool. You know what? We moved past it ourselves. We did it. (laughs) I still Uh, won't ship Zutara. I apologize for nothing. (laughs) 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 I can apologize for a bunch of others, but not that. Yeah, I still won't ship Zutara, sorry. Uh, you don't have to. I know that I'm right. I ship Katara having a better epilogue. Zing! Yeah, yeah, I, mean, I think that's a narrative we can all get behind. Uh, any other final thoughts vis-a-vis Avatar The Last Airbender? And it's Do we glory. ever want to talk about Legend of Korra at some point? Um, we, we should save a separate episode for that. Yeah, I will not stop once I hit that Korasami train. Do we want to talk about Legend of Korra in a future episode? Yes. Yes. Pencil that in. Pencil me in for that one. I am I am down to fucking go on it like Well, good news, too. you're penciled into all of the episodes because you're here. <laughs> you're one third. You this. are a third of the unpack all that slice of pie cake. I love pie. And it is rainbow colored. Yay. I'm Sarah. (laughs) I'm Jesse. 
and I gotta capture the avatar. I'm Dylan, and I won't let you capture me. I'm Quit. Sarah, and you can't catch these gay hands. That's the Sarah experience. Our theme song is by Nathan Engelman. That's E-N-G-E-L-M-A-N-N. You can find his work at soundcloud.com slash Nathan Engelman.